I wanted to reflect with you about this afternoon is another dimension of this continuous prayer that we've been looking at uh, so far. And I wanted to take a section of the rule quite a few chapters from 31 to 41 that uh, deal with things that don't sound very mystical, things like the tools and goods of the monastery, the uh, qualifications, the job description of the cellarer, the, you know what, the operations manager, the bursar, the cellarer, uh, who serves at the meals, uh, how to look after the sick and the children and the old people, the uh, rotor for readings during the, the week, uh, the quantity of food, and the quantity of drink, and the times of meals. And you might think, what's that got to do with the single-minded search for God. Remember, St. Benedict says that um, when somebody comes to the monastery, you keep them waiting at the door for a while, knocking on the door, and then you let them in. And then if they want to stay, you explain the way of life, and you, they live the life, and you find out pretty quickly what they're really like. Uh, most monasteries now will put uh, candidates through psychological profiling and so on, testing, but uh, really the best way is to live with them for a week. Uh, and uh, you pretty well, pretty quickly find out. And then uh, for Benedict, it's, it's a one-year one uh, training. And after a year, uh, having had someone uh, guide them, a mentor, a novice master, they are then uh, uh, asked if they want to stay and if they understand what it is they're committing themselves to. And the only, well, the essential criterion of, of evaluation is not, are they a good person? Are they, you know, are they bringing some gifts to the monastery? Are they, uh, have they proven themselves useful and positive, good community people? It's not any of those. What is it? You seek God? Well, yes, kind of, yes. You yes. seek God? Do they truly seek God? Truly seek God? So I think you would take it for granted they are seeking God, but then do they truly seek God? What's the difference between seeking God and truly seeking God? Commitment. The head to the heart, yes, Lisa? I was going to say a single, single thing, uh, thinking about it and doing it. Yes, not just thinking about it, but doing it. Somebody else? The posture of their heart. The posture of their heart, yes, a sort of the orientation, yes. So it's a, it's a question of discernment and discretion. How, you know, Father John used the word serious. When he was introduced to meditation, he was told by his uh, teacher, um, I can only teach you if you're serious about meditation. And he said, what do you mean by serious? And serious meant that, that you meditate every day, morning and evening. And uh, then, then you can come and meditate with me once a week, he said. So serious in that sense. Now serious doesn't mean humorless. Uh, quite the reverse. Uh, John May used to say, "Serious, uh, seriousness leads to joy. Solemnity leads to frivolity." Interesting, isn't it? Frivolity is to be unserious. If you're if you're too solemn about things and humorless, uh, you lose the joy of life, and you end up just being frivolous. So, um, so this is this is. Uh, this is the discernment that takes place. I met with uh, uh, 
brothers and sisters and friends who, who are either going to begin their novitiate uh, at Mass, at the beginning of Mass this evening, uh, or make their final oblation uh, this evening uh, after, the, after the Gospel. And um, once again, it's a real grace and blessing for me to be able to, to meet and talk and share with people who are at that moment in their spiritual journey because you can see and feel the, the genuine searching and the genuine search for God that is going on in them and, and especially for those who are beginning, who are, well, who are ending the novitiate and beginning their oblation, their life as an oblate, uh, you realize how sacred uh, a moment this is in their life and not to be treated lightly or frivolously, but seriously and joyfully. And um, so, and I think when we read these these chapters on the rule, in the rule, on uh, these aspects of daily life, mundane life, organizational structures in the monastery, you can see something sacred is at work that it is the search for God that is taking place um, not only in the oratory but in every moment of life and in every encounter in, in every aspect of one's life and so really what we're seeing here is the same as we were seeing in the other um, sections the, the goal of continuous prayer remaining in the state of continuous uh, prayer uh, at all times. And what characterizes uh, this search for God and continuous prayer in this section is the idea of service. We are of service to each other. In the uh, life of the oblate, oblation, self-offering, I offer myself to God, uh, in the spirit of the rule, to live in the spirit of the rule of St. Benedict in and through the community. So this offering of oneself, this service uh, that we give to one another. Um, he doesn't speak about serving God specifically. He speaks about serving the people that you are living with as they are on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I'll show you later this evening uh, more details and speak more about uh, Bombeau. Uh, and of course there will be a oblate community uh, living in the spirit of the rule and others at the heart of that new community. And um, it's been interesting for me to see in many parts of the world how the, the vision of Bombo has touched uh, the, the minds of meditators uh, in different ways and according to their way of life, according to where they are in, in their journey. And I met a couple in Singapore, a young, young couple, they were in their 40s. Uh, he's a Dutch and she's um, Singaporean. And I spoke about Bombo at one of the weekly groups. And then the next week they came up to me and they said, could they have a word? And they said, um, before we speak, we'd just like you to know that we're not in midlife crisis <laughs> and we're happily married and we're financially you know, okay. Um, but we have for some time been thinking that there's something missing in our lives. And we've been looking for ways of identifying that. And then we finally came to identify it as the need to serve. <coughs> and uh, so they did, but we didn't know what that meant or at least how it could be done. And they said all week we've been talking about Bombo because we felt, both of us felt, that maybe this is the way that we can serve. And so, actually, about 10 days' time, they're 
they'll be coming over and coming to look at the at, at Bombo and walking around the property and meeting uh, some of the other people who will be part of that core community. And I was very uh, very impressed and touched by that that phrase that they were they had identified in themselves the need to serve. So often we think of service as some kind of burden or obligation. But Benedict clearly sees, and I think it's, we've discovered it for ourselves, it's about a need to serve. And that need to serve one another in whatever way is possible or appropriate, uh, that need is one is, is part and parcel of our, of our need for God, of our, our need for life, our need for love, our need for meaning. So I think that's why Benedict put so much uh, depth into these uh, chapters on what might seem rather superficial uh, aspects of the common life. So let's just have to take a few minutes to look at, look at some of these um, uh, chapters and we can talk about them a little bit as well. Um, so the first is um, the qualifications of the monastery cellar. Do you remember some of, some of the qualities of the monastery cellar? excessive eater. <laughs> Very important for someone who's working, spending a lot of time in the kitchen. What else? Not wasteful. Remember what? Not wasteful. Not wasteful, yes. Yes, exactly, not wasteful. Yes, yes. Thinking before they speak. Uh, yes, yes, thinking before they speak. Uh, careful. Not proud, not excitable, offensive, dilatory, wasting, or wasteful. But God-fearing and what else in relation to the whole community? Hmm? Yes. Not more than that, really. Father. Like a father or mother to the whole community. Yeah. So very similar to the abbot actually. I mean, the cellarer, the sort of the operations manager and the person who's going to be running in and out of the kitchen and the storeroom and the tool room and the guy who's going to be dealing with fixing the lawnmower and, uh, uh, you know, making sure the plumbing is working and so on. This, this person is described in terms very similar to, to that of the abbot. And quite rightly so, because, you know, uh, just take United Airlines, for example. <laughs> Tell us about United Airlines, uh, Linda. I retired 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay. we, won't, we won't put you on the spot. But, no, I mean, you can, you know, a corporation can spend, uh, you know, millions and millions on... Uh, marketing and the friendly skies and all this and that, you know. And then you you know, you drag out somebody from their from their seat and beat them up and knock their teeth out for sitting in a seat that they paid for. So you know, the uh, point of delivery is a very important part of the uh, not only the reputation but the, the, the ethical value and meaning of a, of a, of a, of a company. Um, you know, the person who sits, you know, who sits at the reception desk, the person who uh, comes up to you in the store and says, can I help you, that person is the, represents the spirit of the, of the company. So the, the seller is in the same way the person who in a 
a concrete uh, way expresses the spirit of the monastery and the leadership of the monastery seen as service. Leadership seen as not as uh, just merely organization for its own sake or efficiency for its own sake, not just uh, to uh, keep people in their place, to keep them in line, but to serve. And um, that quality of service, I had come not to, I had come not to be served, but to serve, Jesus said. And throughout all of these chapters, there are many, many echoes and resonances with gospel passages, uh, which remind us of the diaconia, the, the, the role of the deacon in the church who was to serve, to bring the food to people who needed it. And this quality of uh, mutual, of mutual service, similar to Benedictine systems on mutual obedience, the monks aren't just to obey vertically, but they are meant to obey horizontally. They obey each other in the same way as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And uh, Jean Vanier, of course, uh, understands this through his uh, years of living at, in Larche um, and creating a community of mutual service. Uh, and having, and, and because of this, was able to recover what he called the lost sacrament of the washing of the feet. And uh, where we, the people form little circles and wash each other's feet. We do that in, in Bear Island at the Holy Week retreat every, uh, every year now. So, uh, so this is, this is why the qualifications of the monastery cellarer uh, are characterized by his way of relating to the uh, whole community. He will take care of everything. <laughs> Pretty nice job. So he's a, he's a what, 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 jack of all trades. Uh, what's the official, what's kind of... CEO, I say it's not quite CEO, is it? But what? Mother, yes. That's right, no, no definite job description, but does everything. But, but is under obedience to the abbot, but will do nothing without uh, an order from the abbot, and let him keep to his orders. So Benedict recognizes how powerful this position is, this is the person who's going to decide the mood of the community and the relationships within the community uh, on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis. But in order to keep this very important role in its, in its proper perspective and to, to help him to stay in this role, he reminds everybody that the cellarer is himself or herself simply Another, another person within this web of relationships that's created by obedience. We are obedient to each other. And then he should not annoy the brothers. <laughs> he should not annoy them. In other words, don't let the, the power go to your head. Uh, very easily done. I was in a monastery once and one of the the monks was uh, in charge of uh, had a lot of responsibilities for the property around the monastery, and um, he was like a sort of a CEO or you know somebody with a lot of power, responsibility, and status. And uh, and it, and I think it, it certainly went to his head. And then his head was cut off because <laughs> uh, he lost the job. Uh, because he became a little too too arrogant and uh, he was he was well it was, it was very painful to see in a way because he was a bit like a headless chicken uh, he didn't know how to relate to people anymore and uh, it felt humiliated but the beautiful thing was that he stayed 
actually stayed and over time, year, year by year, I could see him, um, I mean, I wasn't part of that community, but I could see, I could see him uh, readjusting and recovering, you know, himself really, and his proper place in the, in the life of the community. So, um, again, if any brother happens to make an unreasonable demand of him, he should not reject him with disdain and cause him distress, but reasonably and humbly deny the improper request. So, don't be impatient even with the people who are, you know, uh, ridiculous, people who are asking for ridiculous things. Treat them with respect and don't humiliate them and don't just dismiss them. Okay. Let him keep watch over his own soul ever mindful of the saying of the Apostle, he who serves well secures a good standing for himself. So everything is, is guided by this principle of service, even to those who are really difficult to serve, the people who are causing trouble or being unreasonable. So, you know, imagine, you know, uh, an airport where all the Imagine I wasn't there, but Heathrow Airport a couple of weeks ago when the computers all blew up and hundreds of thousands of passengers were, were disrupted. You could imagine, imagine what, they, what it would have been like to have been, uh, you know, at the information desk for British <laughs> Airways uh, at that time, with all these angry, sad, distressed people coming up. And I don't know how they behave. Some of them, some of them, continue to serve if they had, if they were mindful over their own soul, they would have been able to 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 uh, to, to continue to serve and do the best that they could in those very difficult circumstances. Others who were not able to be mindful of their own souls would have would have either just closed the desk and hidden away somewhere, or uh, shut down completely and refused any kind of personal contact with these distressed families and business people and everybody else. So it's not just the job, it's the way you do the job. And the way you do the job is determined by your whether you are watching over your own soul, how conscious you are, how present you are. So the continuous prayer, the, the very reason for the existence of the monastery, the continuous prayer gives you, gives you in even difficult circumstances, the stability, the sensitiveness, and the compassion to be able to handle whatever comes. And compassion is the key word here. The cellar is meant to be a, a, a fountain of compassion. He must show every care and concern for the sick, the children, the guests, and who else? Strangers. Strangers. The sick, children, guests, and the poor. Yeah, so they would have had people coming to the door, knocking on the door and saying, you have a sandwich. <laughs> or could we have a job for, for the day? Could we work in the garden or um, you have a glass of wine? Uh, so to show every care and concern, so to treat each of these needy, vulnerable, disadvantaged and marginal people to treat each one of them with respect and dignity to serve truly to serve because you can't serve unless you respect what you are serving or who you are serving unless there's a fundamental sense of the dignity of the person you're serving you won't serve them, you will just 
be fulfilling your contractual obligation or you'd just be doing your job. But you won't have that quality of attention and of engagement and of uh, respect that constitute real service. And uh, he says, knowing for certain that he will be held accountable for all of them on the day of judgment. So in other words, not just the end of his life, but when he goes to bed that night, after a difficult day, and he reflects on the day as he's supposed to do, you remember, then uh, that's his day of judgment. And he, he will reflect, he or she will reflect uh, and evaluate how they served. And they'll sleep better or worse, depending, depending on how they did. He will regard all the utensils and goods of the monastery as sacred vessels of the altar. So these very ordinary, mundane, secular, profane aspects of the life, you know, the, the uh, kitchen utensils, the saucepans, <coughs> the uh, farm, uh, what do you call them, farm things, instruments, implements, implements all these things. In the spirit, if, if you handle them and hand them out and receive them back, in the spirit of service, they are sacred. Why are they sacred? Why are they as sacred as the chalices and the ciborium and the tabernacle? Because it's in the service of God. Right? <coughs> Human encounters, yes. Each of these instruments represents a, a, a connection to a person who is doing a service. You give them a saucepan it's so that they can cook a meal. You give them a scythe it's so that they can cut the, uh, the harvest. So each of these instruments is a, uh, a symbol of service to the community. The community becomes a service community. Uh, nothing, aware that nothing is to be neglected. So here's, this is, this is an efficiently run community of service, community of love. Sufficient, nothing is neglected. You don't lose a saucepan, and you, you don't uh, treat the side, you, you sharpen the sides for the next morning so that it will be ready for use. Nothing is to be neglected. Who's the, who's the best seller that we have in this community at this particular moment that you are aware of? Corey. Corey. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is, nothing is uh, neglected. So, and above all, let him be humble. If goods are not available to meet a request, he will offer a kind word in reply. So, you know, when you, when you go to a store or an airport and you ask for something, and, they say no. The way they say no makes all the difference to the way you feel. No, we don't have it. No? I'm sorry, we don't have it, but we'll, we can order it for you. Very different tone, a kind word in reply, even when you can't give what is being asked of you. A kind word is better than the best gift. What did Father John say is the best way to prepare for meditation? Um, small acts of kindness. Small acts of kindness, yes. And a kind word is an act of kindness. He should take care of everything that the abbot entrusts to him and not presume to do what the abbot has forbidden. He will provide the members of the community their allotted amount of food without any pride or delay, lest they be led astray. What would they, what would they be led astray? What would being led astray mean? What? Well, <laughs> yes, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> they all go into the kitchen and take uh, whatever they want, yes. Water breaks down, but what else? 
uh, to avoid anger and resentment. Yes, you're led astray by the demons of anger or what's the other thing that he says uh, you must have good organization in the monastery so that all things must be done in good order so that the monks don't become sad sad and angry sadness and anger usually go together eventually well, first of all you're sad and then you get angry so he must remember what the scripture says that the person deserves who leads what, what the person deserves who leads one of the little ones astray so uh, if you're responsible by your own mismanagement or your own lack of spirit of service for upsetting the community or upsetting individuals you're leading them astray or corrupting them or allowing them to be corrupted and then very typical Benedict remark if the community is large he should be given helpers with, so that with their assistance why why should he why, why is he given assistance so he won't be overburdened so that he won't be overburdened for him yes so that he can calmly perform the duties of his office he can do the job calmly you know uh, yeah, this is a pretty a pretty a difficult job to do it's uh, keeping lots of balls in the air being constantly asked uh, requests and answers or directions or dealing with complaints this is this is a complex task and one that would very easily lead to stress and anxiety which then of course becomes expressed in impersonal or unkind or uh, uh, dismissive attitude towards the people you're supposed actually to be serving and so um, you need to keep the calmness of your own soul to be able to serve very important we're conducting a uh, a, a trial uh, sort of a research clinical random random randomized control is it called randomized clinical trials uh, at the in the emergency department of the hospital in Ireland at the moment and the emergency department is a very stressful uh, it's the cutting edge of, of medicine not like Jean's easy job you know <laughs> putting, putting people to sleep and uh, they can't argue back but, so but this this is this is uh, you know, very, and and the people uh, the, the people I've met uh, working in the emergency department are amazing people. They give. They are they are self-giving people, and uh, but to a fault. You can see that that they don't know where to stop, and that they could very easily go over the limit, and then they begin to burn out, they begin to, to crack. And uh, that's why they all know how much they need meditation. Um, but uh, what they are discovering is that what meditation gives them is not only the interior calmness to be able to deal with continuous crisis, emergency, but also to to create or to, to build up a community of of servers which support which supports them in which they can support. And I was very 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 I could see very clearly how they relate to each other and what a great team spirit they have. And I think partly because 
uh, the head of the department is a meditator. And uh, they're, they're, they're sort of care for each other um, is, it grows out of this interior calmness and their meditation more and more. And it's this care for each other then which allows them to be of service to the people who come in on stretchers and also terrible accidents and so on. So necessary items are to be requested and given at the proper times so that no one may be disquieted or distressed in the house of God. I think that this has a political implication too. We live in very unquiet and very distressful and very stressed times politically and socially. So, and we seem to have lost the, the gift of the art of managing society in a way that is sufficiently just, sufficiently calm, well organized, balanced and fair and without Without justice, without balance, uh, there is no, no peace. So more and more people are feeling resentful because they are they're aware that they are being treated unjustly. That wealth goes up in our Western economies, and it, and uh, more wealth is created. The more goes up, it isn't being distributed. Simple as that, really. And that creates resentment and, and anger. So we don't seem to have yet found out, I mean, I uh, met many economists and bankers and people in public service who are very conscious of this and are looking for ways they would like to be able to find the solution, the formula, to, to, to correct this, because they know that it's heading for disaster, a breaking point. And we've already seen it in populism, populist politics, referendum politics, uh, which simply give people an opportunity to express blind anger and the demand for change at any cost. Let's just kick them all out and start again, sort of attitude. So, so the resentment, the anger, the, the disquiet that builds up in society, as, in, as it would build up in the house of God, when things are not run properly, fairly. And uh, so, so what, but why do we do that? Why, why should the community be calm, well-managed, well-ordered? What's the purpose of it? Is it just like a retirement home? To create the atmosphere of prayer. To, to remind everybody, to keep everybody alert to the fact of why they're there, which is to pray without ceasing. And that's going to be very difficult if the community is constantly bickering and murmuring. There's another chapter where he speaks about the, 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 the corrosive uh, uh, influence of, of murmuring. Uh, there's enough of that, you know, leaks, <laughs> political leaks and twitters and God knows what else, this continuous sort of complaint and corrosive uh, anger and you know that eats away at the soul of any of any any group of people whether it's a nation or a little monastery so and and when you are it's like a like a very unhappy marriage you know how, how do you raise children as you would like to raise them you know in a, in a atmosphere of continuous, I don't know, uh, conflict and division. So you've got to manage the relationships and the functions and the day-to-day -day, day -day, uh, duties and responsibilities of the community as of the nation. You've got to manage them so that there is sufficient peace and harmony and good order based on justice. Without justice, you won't have the peace. So that people are free to 
seek God, to truly seek God, to make the journey, to be of service to each other. And being of service to each other is both the means and the end, in a way. At first it's the means, but as you, as you learn the meaning of serving one another in this way, like the cellarer, you, uh, you realize that actually this is what it's about. As close as we can get in this life uh, to the kingdom of heaven, it is through our service of each other and caring for the environment in which we serve for each other, keeping in mind especially, especially the most vulnerable. So apply that to our social policies, to our politics, to our you know government budgets. But these are the major focal points of the Christian view of life. The, the most vulnerable people, because they are the ones who who need the spirit of service shown to them more than anybody. So, uh, so this little chapter looks just like a job description for the for a, uh, a general manager, but actually it is a, a very um, astute, uh, a, a very practical theology of um, the meaning of the whole community, the purpose of the life. And this is something we find in the other chapters, the tools and goods of the monastery, <clears throat> why we should clean, he says, clean and, and treat them, treat the tools of the monastery uh, carefully, with respect. Um, this is why chapter 34 that the distribution of goods in the monastery is according to need it's not a reward something like I remember reading recently 70% of American Christians thought that the expression God helps those who help themselves was a verse of scripture. <laughs> it isn't. It's not the spirit of scripture at all. The spirit of scripture is you give to those in need. <laughs> and uh, distribution was made to each one as he needed. But by this we do not imply there should be favoritism, but rather consideration for weakness. So it's a prudent concern. It doesn't mean that anybody who comes and says, I need. Uh, I need a new, uh, you know, laptop should get one. <laughs> Whoever needs less should thank God and not be distressed. But whoever needs more should feel humble because of his weakness, not self-important because of the kindness shown to him. Well, very subtle and perceptive understanding of human relationships in a service community. How easy it is to, um, for somebody who is in need to sort of treat their need as if it was some kind of weapon that they can handle over those who are helping them, making them feel guilty or manipulating them. And Benedict's very astute about that. You know, that, that has to be um, that kind of self-importance has to be uh, targeted. Um, in this way, all the members will be at peace. Those who serve and those who are served. Because there isn't, in fact, that much difference. When we see the meaning of service, those who give and those who receive are pretty much in the same in the same space. But most of all, there must be no sign of the evil of grumbling. So don't murmur. Don't gossip. Don't back talk. Don't you know, do all those things that eat away at the life 
of, of, of the spirit of the community. So, and then, uh, we won't go any more, but in the other chapters, the kitchen service of the week, the brothers should serve one another. The basic principle. So there's a rota in which, in some monasteries, you know, the, the abbot or the friar, you know, who are often not there at the meals for one reason or come in a bit late because they have to do something. Uh, but in some monasteries, the abbot and the prior, if they're able, they, they put themselves down on the rota to serve. <coughs> and um, just, to, just to make the point, sometimes it's not practical to do. But in other monasteries, the abbot sits up, it's sort of a medieval um, sort of idea of the monastery. I mean, this is pre-medieval. You should remember the, the, the image of monasticism that we have from the Hollywood is this medieval monasticism, which was a, a long way, several hundred years after Benedict. Benedict is a lay community. A lay community, we haven't got any of this clerical hierarchy. And, uh, but in most, many monasteries, uh, the abbot, of course, he would even have his own, his own sort of dining, well, actually he says that the abbot can have his own dining area because he's going to be is, as a representative of the community, is going to be dealing with lots of guests. Uh, but, uh, but really, he, uh, you know, when you see some old-fashioned monasteries where the abbot is up, up on a little platform, and people come and serve him first. But it's very nice when you when you're invited to sit next to him. It's like being upgraded, you know. <laughs> but but it, and it's not you know it, 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 it's a, it's a custom, it's a tradition. You can't uh, it, it has its own value. You know, it shows respect and affection for the abbot, maybe, and respect for the, the burden he's carrying. You could argue that. But basically, uh, the brothers, including the abbot, should serve one another. And that point has to be made. The abbot has to always, any leader has to show that, that they are part of this uh, network of, of service. They're not just uh, standing outside of it, telling other people what to do. So no one is excused from kitchen service unless. What? Yes, unless he's sick or engaged in some important monastery of the, of the monastery, some important business of the monastery. So again, you know, typical of Benedict, there's this very strong rule, and then, however, <laughs> the uh, exception. That those who are not strong have help so that they may serve without distress. And how often he's concerned about that the service that we give to one another should not cause stress to the people doing the service. Let everyone receive help as the size of the community or local conditions warrant. Let all serve one another in love. And then very specific examples of kitchen workers receiving a drink and some bread over and above the regular portion, so that at mealtime they may serve their brothers without grumbling or hardship. So give them an extra piece of bread and an extra glass of wine and we'll keep them happy. <laughs> uh, so very subtle, very careful, very thoughtful attention to the feelings of the community and the, the, the mood of the community and the, the, uh, the, the inner life of those who are serving one another. Then the chapters, of course, on the sick brethren. Care of the sick must rank above and before everything else, so that they may truly be served as Christ. For he said, I was sick and you visited me. And what you did for one of these least brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. But the sick on their part must bear in mind that they are served out of honor for God. And they must not make excessive demands <laughs> that distress their, their brethren. So there's constant uh, awareness of the relationship between those who serve and those who are served. Then the elderly and, the, uh, and children, uh, they, they have to be treated 
his kindly consideration and, uh, and children and old people because of the particular weaknesses that they had, physical and so on, uh, need, need special attention. How the readers of the week should be chosen, the proper amount of food there should be. It is enough, we believe, to provide all tables with two kinds of cooked food because of individual weakness. So, you know, so today we have about 25 different kinds of food, you know. You know, Cizac and you know, all, the, all the other allergies that we have. This reminds me, I was once in the sacristy preparing for Mass and a woman came in and she said, Father, uh, she said, I am a celiac. I'd never heard the word before. So I said, misinterpreting, I said, that's okay, you can come to communion anyway. <laughs> and I thought it was like she was saying, I'm a, I'm a Coptic or a... You know, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the so the, the sensitivity of, of of Benedict apparent in all of these, um, these this attention to detail, and but but at the same time the logos, the, the logic, the of everything that he's saying. There is a, an argument there. There's a consistency in what he's saying in all of these details. But when you read these chapters, sometimes you think, well, that's you know, not very interesting. I'll skip that. Um, maybe the only bits you can, should really skip would be the ones where he's talking about the which psalms to say and which occasions are not so important. But really, every, every, other, every other chapter is uh, logically connected to the overall spirit and ethos of the of the rule.